Hello and welcome to this week's TES News Review. My name is Richard Vaughan uh, and I am joined here by the crackest of crack teams. It's Kay Wiggins, hello Kay. Hello. And Ed Dorrell, hello Ed. Bonjour. So, as usual, it's been... Every week seems to be ridiculously busy these days. Um, there's either U-turns or there's sats leaks or there's something going on in the news which makes education at forefront of uh, the news agenda. But this week, as like every other, has been a very, very busy week indeed. Um, so, we are going to talk about... We've got a, new, a little new feature that you may or may not have seen uh, in this week's TES... It's the crib sheet, which is a smorgasbord, let's call it, of all of this, the last uh, week's worth of news that we do online. And if you're not aware of of the of the website, um, this should be a, a kind of a an entry drug into it. What do you what do you, what do you think? This is um, this is your vaping on your way into full on smoking. Be- yeah, before taking off crack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's uh, yeah. The thinking behind it is exactly as you describe it. it, but it's also to give readers who are possibly too busy to follow um, the ins and outs on an hour by hour basis of the crazy education world in which we live um, an overview of of roughly what's happened, and also to signpost, as you say, people to our extraordinarily brilliant rolling news and Indeed. views website. It's a serious output, um, and in fact. It's it's a nice little segue uh, into the magazine because this week, Kay, you you broke an exclusive story um, yes. online first, um, and then we did our, our our lead news story about it or kind of a follow up to it. It's um, OCR have decided they're not going to um, offer GCSEs or A levels in in languages, in modern foreign languages. That's a pretty startling um, thing decision to make, isn't it? It is. It's it seems like a really really significant story mostly because this is the first time one of the big major examples has decided not to offer a really mainstream qualification mm. and also it seems like a strange time for it to be happening because obviously the EBAC is being introduced yeah so the government wants 90% of schools to, or 90% of students to be doing the EBAC so and that includes a modern language so it seems like a strange time to be yeah to be stopping providing qualifications why did they um why did they decide to do it well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, the most immediate one is to do with getting them getting them accredited for the new qualifications. So as of September, this coming September, schools are going to be teaching the new GCSEs and A-levels. They're going to be graded 1 to 9 and they'll be teaching those for the first time. There's been this real kind of race to get things signed off, mm. to get these new qualifications signed off. There's been delay after delay. Schools have been waiting a really, you know, really really long time now to get the new specifications it's got to this point in the year GCSEs have started happening kids are off this is the time of year when teachers and and heads of subjects start deciding which specifications they're going to use Mm -hmm. next year and start making plans for how they're going to teach them and OCRs still weren't hadn't been signed off so I think part of it is a kind of business decision schools just aren't going to choose this qualification if they if it's not ready by the time they start looking at them Sure, yeah. there is an issue though, isn't there, in, in uptake? Because yeah, you'll know the stats better than me, Kay. But even though EBAC is ostensibly or should ostensibly be driving a big uptick in languages, um, that's yet to really materialise. Yeah, it? it just hasn't really been happening. I mean, in the it, way I mean it almost seems, it seems at the moment that there's almost nothing anyone can do 
<laughs> to get just kids to doing get, languages. I know, it yeah. really is amazing, yeah. isn't it? It's funny how that's worked out, isn't it? Because you make it compulsory at primary school and it's not having a knock-on effect into, into secondary school and obviously yeah. the biggest show. Why is that happening? So in there's a report that came out quite recently, the Language Trends Report, which we've done a little piece on in this week's magazine, um, which basically said there's a couple of things. Um, firstly, they are looking at um, you know just attitudes among pupils and whether pupils actually want to take this up. Mm. Um, and they're saying that there seems to just be low levels of demand among pupils to do languages. And also this perception that it's more difficult. But other subjects. They are difficult, though, aren't they? I mean, well, they are it, difficult, or, or but that, are they more difficult that, than anything else? The perception when you go into schools and in staff rooms is that a language GCSE is harder to achieve than yeah. perhaps other subjects. I think it's because you have the, the, the discrete reading, writing, and, and um, speaking and listening. It makes. That's why you should do Latin. Yeah, well, quite right. No but speaking and listening. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, yes, absolutely. And it helps with. Uh, with, with um, with vocab and everything else with the romance languages um but there is that idea that because you have so many different sets within a within just one subject that there's more areas to fall down on or there's you know there's tougher possibly but you might think that now that they're moving towards linear GCSEs and everything else teachers might might like the idea that you can do something that's you know there are different forms of assessment you know all the other subjects are basically more and more about sitting and taking a final written exam mm. it does seem that this country's determination to be monoglot <laughs> is unstoppable done all right so far haven't we <laughs> yeah there's nothing we can do yeah. it really <laughs> is have, like they've that, pulled as it? they say you know a horrible policy phrase but it seems that the government has pulled of various hues have pulled all the levers mm. that they possibly can over the years to drive uh, uptake of languages in schools, and determinedly, um, each yeah, new generation, really... each new generation comes through and says, "No thanks." No thanks. Everyone speaks English. Back in nineteen ninety eight, eighty five point five percent of pupils did a language GCSE. Well, that was my generation and yours. Yeah. yeah, and now it's down at forty seven point six. I'm the proud owner of a C in GCSE French. I was uh, predicted an A star and got a B. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that is absolutely shocking. Is that because they decided you? Because when when I were a lad, you uh, you had to do French um, GCSE. Um, I'm pretty sure that was the same. You had to do a language at GCSE, didn't you? It, it wasn't absolutely. Or certainly up until 14. Yeah, you did. It was, and then the, I think it was the Labour government that said it was no longer. Yeah. They, they would actually yeah. make the move to make languages compulsory at primary school, expecting That's to right. drive further uptake and improvements at secondary school. With a mistake, I suppose you could call it, characterise it as a mistake. The policy mistake that they made was that different primaries, di- different languages to different levels. So when kids entered secondary school languages departments were faced with a variety of um, kids who've done a variety of subjects to a variety of levels mm. and therefore basically started them all at ground zero. Yeah. So, yeah. so in fact, it made almost no difference at secondary level. Yeah. Well, as uh, Michael Wilshaw pointed out, uh, we did a story on, online this week. Oh, yeah. he, he, he pointed out that, that, that languages is being marginalised anyway in primary schools because there's such an emphasis on, um, on English and maths and he said mm. the teaching isn't uh, you know, isn't fantastic, so therefore kids aren't being switched onto it. There's a problem on with specialism. There's a problem with specialism, certainly. Sure. And it's only going to get worse. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? If, 
as, as is well documented as well, if language teachers, if people aren't doing languages, yeah, there weren't many language teachers. teachers. Absolutely, yeah. So even if there is a sudden uptick against all the trends and people wanting to do languages, there weren't many language teachers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so this could be, you're also saying this could be the start of a, um, a franchising then? Yeah, that's right. So the government a few years ago, when Michael Gove was Education Secretary, spoke about doing this kind of franchise model. And the whole the whole aim behind it was to end what the government sees as a race to the bottom mm. among exam boards on standards. So the idea is that you'd say, OK, one exam board is allowed to run math GCSE, a different exam board can run the English GCSE. So they're not competing so that they, there's no incentive for them to drive down standards. So. Right. That was a few years ago that was discussed and it was ruled out for a whole range of reasons. But it is what... a fantastic irony and it remains a fantastic irony that the government, the Conservative government, committed to competition in all things, decided that in one area of life competition didn't work. Yes, yeah. indeed. And what you needed was a good old-fashioned <laughs> statement. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The irony. Yeah, yes. but what people are saying now is that actually this, this might be a kind of... Um, you know, brought in through the back door almost, you know, not not really through official government policy or anything, but just if boards increasingly start deciding that they don't want to run certain subjects, they're not getting the numbers, then, mm. you know, teachers will end up only having one exam board offering a particular qualification. So they but won't that have that would, That choice. wouldn't be the case in maths and English. No, maths, certainly not in maths and English. Those are the big volume qualifications. Everyone wants to do those. But in a lot of, I mean, if it's happening already in, in languages, you would have thought they were pretty yeah. big. Qualification. So then you have exam boards who have basically specialism in certain certain subjects, certain areas, yeah. and then they become a monopoly in themselves. That's interesting. So, and then the worry then is, I suppose, there's not much innovation if they've already, yeah, if no, they've got the monopoly. No real incentive to invest a lot in research and development if you're the only board providing a given qualification. If you don't, and also once the board gets out of providing a qualification, it's really hard to get back in. Because mm. say OCR now, okay, they're not doing languages anymore, so all of the language experts will go and work for a different sure. board. So it'll be really difficult in future to get back into that market. Yeah. Maybe slightly different for OCR because they've they're part of a bigger group, Cambridge Assessment. But yeah. certainly there's a there's a principle there of it is hard to get back in. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Hmm. Wow. Watch this space. Um, excellent. Uh, a really good piece. Um, we're going to go on to academization. Yeah. The U-turn that never was. Or was it? Or was it? Um, You've got the answer, Richard. I do. And, wow, we, we all kind of knew it was it was a U-turn in that they're not going to do a blanket to force everyone to become an academy, but they're going to force everyone to become an academy anyway. There are just so many different, you used the word before, there's so many different levers open to, to government now to, to turn schools into academies. And although they haven't set out the details, the um, they will be introducing legislation which will force all schools in local authorities if they meet two criteria. One, if they meet critical mass. So if basically the local authority says we don't have the money to support the remaining schools anymore, turn them into... So it's like 80% of converted. Exactly. Can you convert the rest? Or if the local authority is underperforming... Um, They'll come in. We don't know what underperforming means, but they'll come in and say, right, OK, we're going to turn you all into all into academies. So we crunched the numbers yeah. and we produced <laughs> scatter charts. <laughs> you lucky teachers. You. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of showed which areas might or might not be the um, the first to go. And it's it's it's, it's int- well, it depends if you're into that kind of thing. It is interesting. It's in- it? it is interesting. Well done. 
Um, so we looked at uh, percentage of area, uh, percentage of schools in local authority areas with good or outstanding Ofsted ratings, how they did in Key Stage Two, and how they did at GCSE level. Um, and the kind of the ones which come out the worst quite often is Northeast Lincolnshire, Kingston upon Hull, Thurrock. Relatively, I mean, there wouldn't be the first names that would jump out at you. Uh, Lincolnshire almost certainly would with its grammar schools and yeah. its deprived rural white working class. True. It's Lincolnshire for the edgy geeks amongst us. <laughs> Long be held up as, uh, I was going to say basket case, that would be cruel, but um, yeah. It, you know, its results are pretty desperate and have been for a long time. Yeah, so it's got many variables hitting it, hasn't it? Um, it's like the perfect storm for exactly achievement. They have something like 72% of their schools are um, are already academies. So I think it actually leaves about 15 schools which aren't academies in, the, in that in that local authority. So that's going against it. And then it doesn't do brilliantly in terms of its performance. So, um, But there were some other interesting ones. Um, good and outstanding schools. Rutland came out quite poorly, um, which usually does all right in GCSEs. Yeah. And, Rutland's uh, really tiny, isn't it? It's smallest it local authority in the country. I'm wildly speculating here. Right, yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm wildly speculating here. I've, I've no idea whether it's got anything to do with it, but there's a big concentration of um, big public schools of course, around area. Rutland, yeah. Yeah. which often um, results in poorer performance in the local state sector. Yes. Plus as you said, sort of middle class kids being creamed off the top. Yeah, absolutely. You see it in bits of Kent as well. Plus not as many schools so that kind of skews the th- uh, the figures anyway. But um but yeah, I mean basically what it shows is while no one is safe, um what was most <laughs> revealing is, is is the local authorities which have so many academies and those which don't. I mean North Tyneside is is staunchly anti-academies so we got four percent of uh, of its schools are academies and it seems to do quite well as well so i mean that could be along with kensington and chelsea and tower hamlets those those kind of little islands of um of local authority maintained schools which which will try and resist the uh the the, the onslaught does it does the analysis out. um i might ask a difficult question mm. does the analysis <laughs> suggest that the um the shire counties the conservative shire counties that objected so vehemently to the policy as first promoted yeah. are they are they going to are they going to get away scot clear well i mean north east lincolnshire takes in um a, a tory um uh, uh, constituencies the name of which i am forgetting Struggling right now <laughs> um but uh you basically yes so yes. your hampshires and your oxfordshires the ones who shouted loudest sure are likely to to breathe a little well <laughs> a little more easily a little bit more easy for okay. a short period of time um certainly um but yes it, you know the the likes of uh, it was mainly the north you're looking at the blackpools you're looking at you know doncasters bradfords they're the ones who are going to be for labor yeah funnily enough for labor exactly you're going to be looking over their shoulders so um yes so we've got some wonderful scattered charts in um very kind of deep sunburned red <laughs> red for warning they look great um and we also had our comment piece this week about academization yeah just a dead. brief nod in its direction um mm. david laws who how could you forget david yeah, laws? absolutely yeah <laughs> the uh, the lib dem minister of state for schools uh who was always considered sort of more govian than many uh Actual Tories, yeah, absolutely. He's written one of our two op-eds this week uh, on the subject of academisation from his perspective. Um, 
I mean, he's largely, well, been very diplomatic in favour of the policy. But he makes a, he makes a, a fairly serious criticism, which, which is uh, that policy implementation is lagging behind, uh, has mm. lagged behind for a long time, um, policy ideas, policy ideology, um, which anyone who knows anything about what's happening in the Department for Education at the moment would say sounds about right. Yes, yes, indeed. I've got a piece going out tomorrow on the website on that very subject. Yes, um, <laughs> tumultuous times, one might say. There's been a... Um, well, they've been in the news quite a lot for all the wrong reasons, let's just say that. <laughs> um, poor darlings. Yes, indeed. OK, uh, and Kay, back to you, because you... I mean, it is the Kay Wiggins issue this week, isn't it? <laughs> um, like such is greatness. Such is greatness, exactly. Um, you have done this week's cover, which is on, on Progress 8. And is it actually progress? In a word, is it progress? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's one word right. answer to any question. Um, so what you were, yeah, t- tell us a little bit about it, please. So the whole idea, so Progress 8, for people who haven't been following these things in a, quite the amount of detail that I've had to over the last few weeks. Yes. <laughs> Primary school teachers turn off. No, no. <laughs> please don't, it's really important <laughs> yeah, to you as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a new kind of accountability measure for schools, uh, a new way of working out how well they're doing. The whole idea behind it is that it's much fairer than looking at the kind of how many pupils got five GCSEs at A star to C, mm-hmm. um, because the, that that measure gives an advantage to selective schools and schools in affluent areas and schools with more high ability intakes. So the whole idea of Progress Eight is you measure uh, a school based on the amount of progress its pupils make from when they start school in year seven until when they do their GCSEs. Um, sounds great in theory, and when it was first announced, head teachers, lots of head teachers, were really quite enthusiastic about it. Um, and to a point, some of, a lot of them still are. But um, as our feature looks out this week, um, a lot of them are concerned as well. Um, firstly, because of the, the just the confusion uh, around how it actually works, it is yeah. a fiendishly complicated system. Um, I put together a poster for this week's issue, very shiny. You're so lucky. (laughs) I I have (laughs) to say, I opened up the poster and I tried to... Yeah, I still don't really understand. Oh, yeah, it is a very... <laughs> I'm sorry, and that's no reflection on the work that's been put in, and your explanation. But it's, it, as you say, it is fiendishly difficult. It's a very, very complicated system, and made more complicated by all of the reforms that are coming into GCSEs yes. over the next few years because of the switch from A star to G grades over to 1 to 9s, 9 to 1s. Um, it just becomes... And also all of the changes to assessment in year 6 because, you know... It, that's the, the data that it's all based on is the SATs data and obviously that is changing a lot with the abolition of levels mm-hmm. so the first problem with it all is that it is really complicated and a lot of schools don't really understand how it works um, the second issue a is that the reporters don't seem to understand yeah. how it is. <laughs> well, I mean, progress 8 score equals individual student attainment 8 score minus estimated attainment 8 score divided by 10 <laughs> who can't get that so isn't this the problem this is what I've been going around saying to people and I'm prepared to be shot down okay isn't this the problem that it is um, a metaphorical black box it's another into black which box, a whole yeah. load of data will be chucked and while there might be teachers and heads who understand it the general public won't yes and therefore it will be severely undermined certainly hold below the waterline when it comes to being a public accountability measure yes well that's uh, that is what the, the feature kind of 
concludes, really. That's how it, that's how it ends with uh, safety from reading almost, the whole two thousand one. Almost like I read it. Kate. Almost, yeah, almost, absolutely. Uh, which is, you know, it all comes down to, as with all these things, what how the public really responds to this and how it gets treated and how much currency it gets. Um, the government is also still going to publish alongside the Progress 8 scores of a school um, a lot of other things that are related to more a pure attainment measure, um, which will you know, still have the problems that all the old 5A start to see yeah. measure had. So if the public... It will be really easy for the public to just ignore the Progress 8 score and say, we don't really know what that is, how many how many kids got a 9? And for our colleagues on local papers to produce league tables which ignore the Progress 8 but take into account 5A yeah. staff, the equivalent of 5A staff seeing through the English and maths. Yeah. People ignored value added in contextual yeah. context- I suppose the difference is, and what will make it really yeah. interesting, is that the government at the moment are promising that this will be the accountability measure. So It'll be like schools at the moment have one accountability sure. measure that they're held to account for by the government, mm-hmm. and it also goes up to make the local paper league tables, yep. yeah. so the public understand it and the government uses it, and therefore there is one measure. Here, my my guess is that there'll be one measure that the government uses or committees using, and another one that the local yes. papers, yeah. parents, whatever used to understand the performance of the school, which will be a really interesting tension, it won't is. it? Yeah, but the risk is that they both have, end up having the same inbuilt problem, which is this advantage for selective schools. Because for all of the excitement about Progress 8 um, being fairer for schools with lower ability intakes, there's been some research done by Education Data Lab, which shows that actually there is still going to be a correlation. It's very likely, anyway, that when all the data comes out, there will still be a correlation between the ability of an intake and the school's Progress 8 score. Didn't Tim Lerner from the department he was talking admit that to you pretty much last week? I think it was to uh, one of our other reporters. Oh, yeah, I think it was to... I think so, but, uh, but certainly they've been talking about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not giving so away a scoop there. Not only is it... No, 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 it was in, it was <laughs> no, in the no, magazine last week. Ah, oh, right, OK, I wasn't here. Um, <laughs> 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 so not only is it flawed, but it doesn't... And people might ignore it. It doesn't even do what it's supposed to do. That is the big risk. Yeah. Sounds like perfect policy. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big thumbs up. <laughs> but despite that, some of the heads we spoke to are saying at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, at sure. least it's an acknowledgement. This is a really important thing. We are trying to do something about it. It's nightmarishly complicated, but we're giving it a go. And for us, it's much easier to say than yes to write out. Absolutely. Quite right. Um, but I think, yeah, the general public, this and the ch- uh, changes to numericals rather than uh, letter grades is just it's going to whew, right over the heads. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Do we have an inkling of what might be in next week's? We have a, an amazing and revealing uh, investigation done in conjunction with Mumsnet. Oh, yes. Into why and how parents pick schools. Oh, excellent. And it's not exactly as you'd imagine. It's not Progress 8. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, brilliant. Uh, that just leaves me to say thank you to Kay and to Ed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And thank you all for listening. Uh, catch up with us next time, hopefully next week, uh, when we'll be back again. Thanks and goodbye. Goodbye.